Citizen reporter number 468 for the 31st of March, 2014, the Dubai Taxi Project. Hello and welcome. This is Citizen Reporter, the podcast that tells life stories from around the world. I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro, and this week we are winding down the Dubai Taxi Project, a crowdfunded series focusing on both taxi drivers and people with a story to tell in what until now is a city more famous for its money than its heart. Now, during my days in Dubai, I got a bit of media attention locally, and that gave me a chance to meet local journalists. Now, as you might expect, I found their personal stories to be very inspiring, and I had an itch to share some of them. Today, we'll hear from Ali Al-Shouk, senior reporter at Seven Days Dubai. Ali comes from Baghdad, where he found himself smack in the middle of the American invasion in 2003. His story is pretty special, and I'm very honored that he took the time to speak with me in, of all places, one of the older shopping malls of Dubai. It has so many. We started by speaking about his life before the war. Let's go not to your birth, although that was a joyous occasion. <laughs> but um, bring us back to before you were even a journalist and, and where you were and, and what you were doing, what you thought you'd be doing as an adult. <laughs> uh, well, the thing is, uh, I, was bo- I was born in Baghdad in 1978. And uh, just like, you, you know, Iraq, it was a close country in the 80s and the 90s because of the war. So the thing is, I studied chemistry mm-hmm. in uh, Baghdad University. So it's, I, I finished uh, my study in 2001. Mm-hmm. And then I worked with um, a, research, uh, well, a research factory, chemistry research factory, and the uh, Ministry of Industrial. I became a government employee. Okay. It's just like, because it was the easiest way in Baghdad to get money in that time, just like to be a government employee. Uh, so... I started working with them in 2002 after I finished my military because in Iraq you need to, after graduation you need to serve in the military for a year and a half. So I served in the military for just like six months. Uh, then I just like graduated from chemistry department in 2001. I became a chemist in a corrosion section in the factory before 2003 the invasion. Do the schooling, get the degree, get the job. To this point, Ali has followed the path that people follow all over the world. That was until war came and everything changed. It's basically uh, the war was starting and we, in the institute, it's it's an uh, industrial, uh, what do you call it? Industrial ministry. Yeah. Uh, we are part of the industrial ministry. Yeah. 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 Oh, so we were just like on the borders of Baghdad, it's a little bit outside Baghdad. So they asked us to protect our institute and the facilities. So they asked us to dig a big hole for protection on the main road in front of the institute. And then they asked us to make, make shifts. And they gave us, we were 15 people, they gave us three Kalashnikovs. And they asked us to just like to stay there when the war happened and make shifts 24 hours around the clock to protect the institutes. I don't know from what we can protect. We were civilians, yeah. employees, but with three clashing coughs. 
and just like 60 bullets. So we couldn't say no in that time because if you said no, it's really hard. So what's happened, I thought I will be in the day shift and that's what's war, happening. It's the United States start bombing Baghdad and stuff. Uh, so I, they told me, no, you will be in the night shift from 9 p.m. until 6 a.m. on the next day. So I said no, and I skipped from the place. And we have just like uh, a Ba'athist uh, officials from Ba'ath party. He was the commander in that area. Because, so it wasn't only me. It was uh, other four, five people with us. We escaped in that night. It just we skipped around six o'clock or something. So what he did, he just like he write our names. He just came and checked, and he saw that we are there. And he called us you betrayal. You're betraying your country. And he made a list, and he gave it to the authorities there. So a friend of mine, he called me using a landline. To my, I had a landline in my house. So he called me and said, Ali, you need to return back immediately because they put you on the list, and you will be detained because of that. So my father, he just like told me, okay, maybe Saddam Hussein will stay in the regime and you will become a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. You will consider as a betrayal or something. You'll be a criminal. You'll be a- exactly, in that time. So he asked me to go. So he even dropped me to this point by his car and he went out. So I went there and there was this official guy and he insulted me badly. He started swearing and I couldn't say anything. I just say, okay, listen, sir, I'm sorry. So he said, he showed he show me a piece of paper. He said, your name on this piece of paper. And there was a red line and pen on my name that we called it as a barbarian or betrayal. It's, it's a kind of uh, a sentence. It's uh, used by Saddam people okay. for people who are betraying their country. If you didn't come, you will be detained and blah, blah, blah. So I say, listen, I'm sorry. And I just like kept my mouth shut. And I spent a night in that hall, and it was really, really painful because in that night, we have five rockets landed on the institute. It's destroyed the whole institute. Because beside the institute, there was a a Fida'in military base. It's just like beside us. So it was really, really a terrified night in that time. And your job is just to to be in there. Corruption. Yeah. I'm just in corruption section, uh, cor- corrosion section, corrosion yeah, yeah, yeah. section. Corrosion section. Someone else was involved. Yeah, yeah. In corrosion section. I'm a civilian. Yeah. I know how to use a Kalashnikov because I was in the army, but it's not our job. Right. I mean, 15 people and give them three Kalashnikovs in front of what? Yeah. The Bombs American military falling out of the sky. Oh. It's it's kind of yeah. stupid, but I forced to do that. Yeah. And uh, I consider myself as a lucky to right. st- to still alive yeah. after that. Yeah. Because many people in similar situations. Two of my friends who escaped, they were detained and they were executed after a week. Yeah. It's amazing that there was still time for all this to happen, you know? Uh, Yeah, because it it took around 20 days. Yeah. So a lot of people can get in trouble, a lot of things can. Yeah, we were just like, we are not sure that uh, America will uh, erase Saddam Hussein regime in that time. We we were not sure about it. But uh, so we were afraid that he will stay. And then he will punish us because we we were not loyal and stuff. If I were to tell you today that working as a journalist is a lucrative career, you could rightfully say, uh, that can't be right. 
However, back in 2003, in the aftermath of the invasion, as Ali can explain, journalism actually was a good way to earn money in Iraq. And after that, my life changed. Uh, well, I spent all my life in Iraq just like uh, listening to music, American movies. So I developed my English language. So uh, after the invasion, a friend of mine who came, he said, listen, you, your English are so good. Why don't you work with an, an English newspaper which is open in Baghdad? And uh, in that time, we, I, just, like, I was earning only $60 from my working as employee we, we were paid by the american yeah. in that time and we just like we we sitting doing nothing because the research uh, the labs and the research it was all destroyed because of the invasion mm -hmm. in that time so he told me that we will if you write something they will give you 50 dollars for the story mm -hmm. and I, I i said wow it's amazing so i i worked with the newspaper it's opened after the invasion in, on August. It's called Iraq Today. Yeah. It's an English newspaper. So I worked with other young people, Iraqis. So on my first day of working, uh, it's hap there was a bomb in the United Nations building. Yeah. I don't know if you remember it. They killed the... Um, the the, uh, the, the Miguel, the Miguel I, I can't remember his name. Brazilian, yeah. So and this, is, this was my first day of journalism. Yeah. So my editor, he told me that's like you need to go there. And I don't know anything about journalism. So he just like told me, you, you grab your pen and your notebook and write whatever you've seen. So I went there, write whatever I've seen. I spoke with a couple of people, police, Americans. So I returned back. He just like said, okay, now you write what you've seen and in one piece. So I it's okay. So I start writing English. Then I give him the material. And he said, wow, that's good. He started reading it. At the end of the day, he gave me $50. He said, we'll see you tomorrow. So I just like, I earned $50 in one, just like in one day. So that was amazing for me. So I came on the next day and the day after. Then I, I started involved in journalism. I started liking it. But frankly, it was the money who brought me to wow. journalism. It's not because I really like it. At the beginning, it was because of money. That's something you'll rarely hear, I think, in the, in the coming years. <laughs> I know, I know. Because I mean, always... Be, being a journalist, I became a journalist because I was earning good money in Baghdad. So I, I also needed to support my family. I need to build my future. So I started working with those guys. Then we had uh, threatening letters from insurgents because it's a, the newspaper is owned by a British investor. Uh, after the things start becoming worse in Iraq after 2004, this the battles that happened in Fallujah and many bombs starting in Baghdad. So they shut down the newspaper and then I just like found myself uh, working with different Western newspapers as a fixer, working for journalists. Uh, then I worked with uh, a Chinese news agency called Tsinghua. Yeah, very famous. You know, I was a photographer, professional photographer and journalist. Mm -hmm. I, uh, photographing is kind of my hobby when I was young. So I say, well, yeah, why not? So they, they used, I mean, they used to have a Chinese photographers and uh, reporters, but because of the situation in Baghdad, they started preferring to send locals. Yeah. So I worked with Shanghua for just like nearly a year and a half. And I've, I just like, I started involving in all the kind of action in Baghdad uh, and Iraq, just like the starting of the government. I was there. Yeah. Uh, 
Were you choosing your own stories, or was there a specific responsibility well, that you had for some type of story? Well, well, you, the, 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 the usual stories in Iraq about the violence, about the action, but also I, I also, if I have ideas for stories, I tell them they, if they like it, so I will do it. Okay. So it's kind, it's me and them. Okay. So finally, I worked with the United Nation. Hmm. It's a public information officer. And the UNAMI, it's a United Nation uh, mission in Iraq. So I worked with them for seven months. It was a decent job, just like sitting on a disc mm-hmm. with a suit or something. Well, it's in the middle of the green zone, but it's better than going around in Baghdad streets all the day. Because you, when, when there was always a bomb happening, you, you used to go to the bomb location, taking pictures, speaking with people. Then you need to go to the hospital, speak with injured people, to the morgue, dead people. So it's it's kind it's it's exhausted me in that time when you see all the death scenes mm-hmm. in Baghdad in that time. So I preferred to go to the United Nations. So I moved there. But after seven months, I received a threatening letter because the United Nations location it was in the green zone and the green zone is a restricted area. And for insurgents, anybody who's going inside the green zone, he's betraying the country. So so how does Dubai enter into this equation? There he is, Ali, the journalist daring to go places in Baghdad where no foreigner would dare try, facing death threats and always trying to stay a step ahead of those who would do him harm. And then, enter Dubai. And I came here to Dubai just like looking for a safe place because in Baghdad it wasn't safe for me. Even my sister, uh, she just got a... There was a fighting near my neighbor and uh, she received a bullet in her hand because of that. I don't know it's because of me or threatening, I don't know. So I just like decided to move here. And I came here, I searched for a job three months, I couldn't get a job. Then I found a job with my newspaper, okay. seven days. So this is just like, it's, it's a series of, con- what you call it, coincidence. Just like it's moving from a chemist to a journalist. And frankly, uh, I didn't study journalism, but... Uh, I had training sessions and courses well, by Reuters Foundation. They wanted to help the young Iraqi journalists. So I have a training uh, courses in Cairo, Lebanon, and London in 2005. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've got... Uh, but I, I learned journalism in the hard way, in the war zone. It's not the easy way. So, I don't know, I just like... They came here to the, to the country. And frankly, when I came to Dubai, I wasn't thinking to continue as a journalism. I started looking for a job as a chemist. Because, Back to yeah. <laughs> and then because of the money wasn't good for a chemist in Dubai. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Because you need to work in a lab and they don't give you well here. Yeah. So, journalism still give you more. Wow. So I decided again okay. to continue as a journalist in, in, in Dubai so when I searched for three months I couldn't get a job here when it, because I was searching for a chemist when I started searching on journalism within just two weeks I got a job
person here told me that when I sat with him for just like three hours chatting about uh, different kind of things that happen in Baghdad, mm -hmm. he start, he, he's a British guy, he, he started telling me, well, we didn't hear that and that and that from the media. Right. So I told him, you guys didn't know the full story of or what's happened in Iraq in the invasion and after the invasion because this is what the media want you to know yeah I mean and, you know and people are also tricky with what they you know exactly. in America please yeah, yeah maybe I, they don't want to know yeah exactly maybe yeah yeah depending yeah no, but he told me yeah, you had you had just like uh, you had you had a great story to tell mm. and you need to write it down in a book in English uh, because he said we never heard from Iraqi journalists here. Yeah. But I don't know. It's it's an idea in my mind. Yeah. It's uh, maybe one day I will go and finish the book. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Or you, you do something like I mean nowadays you have people who even those famous yeah Iraqi bloggers who at the time probably didn't know that they were going to make a book yeah. and some of those books are actually not that good. Yeah. But the entries were great originally in that time. Well, so if you is, wrote a little bit... Yeah, but the thing is, for those bloggers, many of them, they were just like sitting at home. Yeah. While in that time, I was just like driving and going around in the whole city. In dangerous places, I went and uh, I went to just like all kind of areas in Baghdad in that time. Just like looking for stories, human side stories. Uh, insurgent stories I was with them American stories I was with them in the Humvees mm -hmm. uh, so in that time what a lot of people just like were return back home early and close their doors afraiding on 3pm uh, or 4pm I was there even during the election time yeah. I was just like hanging around in the whole city in the first election in 2005 it was really scaring no cars allowed it mm -hmm. so and you're always wearing your jacket and helmet with oh. the press thing so, so I, I was there, and uh, I've seen a lot of things. Yeah. I've seen the truth of what's happening there. So I don't know. It's it's an idea. Maybe yeah. after a couple of years. I've I've heard that a lot of the um, media that we get, the reports about different parts of the Middle East are actually coming from reporters in Dubai even though they might be talking about Syria they might be talking about even true. Iraq have you have you seen this when you read or when you meet them yeah true I mean uh, Dubai it's became just like a center point for journalists mm -hmm. to broadcast their stories about the Middle East about Iraq about Syria about Lebanon which is really I don't know it's, it's really weird <laughs> I mean, just like you are, you're sitting in, not in the right place to write a story about Lebanon. You need to go and to be in Lebanon. Yeah. But they, but this is their companies. They are just like they look. They they headquarters are here. Yeah. And they just like you know, you know they they getting stories from uh, little journalists in Lebanon and Iraq, small journalists. Right. Just like, I mean, it's it's happened for it's happened with me. A lot of my stories. It's it's broadcasting in big newspapers in the UK, in the United States, and the names of Western journalists. Mm -hmm. Because as I told you, in that time we ha we were the only English newspapers, and in that time a lot of foreign uh, Western reporters coming to Baghdad, so we were the source for them to start yeah. looking for stories. Because we are Iraqis, just like we were ten Iraqi young people, we just had we just knew a good English writing it so we were just like we managed to go to we, we because we're Iraqis so you you're familiar with this city yeah. 
So we get different kind of stories in that time. So a lot of Westerners, they just like start taking the idea because we are just like, we, we, we're not online. Right. You know, I had my first email account on 2004. Yeah, it's quite late. Yeah. We don't have, uh, in that time, we don't have a satellite. Mm -hmm. We only used to have two channels, government channels. We don't know anything about the world. Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know when they said about the Soviet Union that, that they have this iron shield? Yeah, yeah. yeah, the same in Iraq from the 90s until 2003. We never knew what's happened outside the world. Just we heard about the 9-11 thing. Right, right. So we don't know anything. We don't know about mobile phones. We just hear about them. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, we don't have, we know about satellite. We don't have an email account. We don't have an access on internet. Yeah. So everything is it's coming to us. So in that time, we, did, we don't know. While the whole world, Western, they know about it. Yeah. So they start taking our stories and putting their names in it, and they became famous yeah. reporters and, and journalists. you take all the risk and do all the work. Exactly. Yeah. So sometimes this is happening here, just like uh, a main corresponding sitting here in Dubai, yeah. broadcasting stories from Baghdad or from Lebanon, yeah. from Syria, while he's sitting here. So... Hmm. It's one of the bad practices yeah. of, of journalism. Yeah, true, true. If you, want to, if you want to write about something, you need to be there. Yeah. You need to speak with the with the people who witnessed that. Not to hear it from others. But so, Ali, when it comes to your life, now settled here in Dubai, at least for the time being, what, you, what do you think for well, three, four years from now? Well, this is... This is... I cannot answer this question. Neither because, can I, but... Yeah. Because, you know... <laughs> to be honest, for me, no, yeah. because, because, you know, when I came here, uh, I was single mm -hmm. in 2006. And uh, I thought I just like I will stay here for one or two years until things settle down in Iraq. Then I turn back to Baghdad because my family was there. And then I found myself in this country, spending now seven years, more than seven years in this country, because things are still bad in my country. Always when I want to return back to Iraq, my family asked me not to come. My parents. In 2007, I get married. Yeah, I have a son now. He's a five years old. So. I start liking this country. It's a safe country. I think it's the only, it's the safest country in the Middle East now. The whole Middle East. Uh, it's a good country for me. It's an Arabic country and a Muslim country. I'm Arabic and Muslim. Well, it's always nothing like home, but you don't feel like a stranger. Because even in Iraq, when I, when I return back, to, sometimes during vacation, I spend a month or something. Sometimes I feel I'm a stranger there. Also, I feel it's a close for my country, just like two hours by airplane, you just like will be there, bang. So, I don't know, I feel myself comfortable here. Yeah. And, and your family, have they stayed there or have they also gone elsewhere? Uh, in Iraq? Yeah. Well, they went to the north, yeah. to, to Erbil, and uh, because uh, my sister was with treating her from her injury, so they went with Erbil, with my brother, who is a doctor. He's younger than me, I'm the oldest. And they stay in Erbil for also around two years until things become safe in Baghdad. They returned back in 2008 to Baghdad. My father and my mother, they are now staying in Baghdad. Okay. My sister, she's getting married now. She's also in Baghdad. I have a second sister, she's also in Baghdad. She's also married and having three kids. My brother, he's, he moved to America, United States, just like before a year okay. with his family. He wanted to 
he wanted to feel safe to get a decent passport mm-hmm. uh, to get a passport where he can go to all countries without restricted visas or stuff so he wanted to start his future in the United States so he's now in the in America yeah with his family so it's just like sometimes I feel we shattered because he's in America I'm in I'm in UAE my family in Baghdad I mean Meeting Ali and spending a few hours with him was a very positive experience, but also one of those wow life moments. It was positive because, as journalists and curious souls, we never had a lack of things to talk about. But the wow factor that I'm talking about, that comes when I step back from that table, from that cafe, and I consider this experience of our so-called nationalities, for example— even though I think we're citizens of the world, but there's one way to look at it where he's Iraqi, I'm American, and here we're sitting in 2014 speaking openly about the good, the bad, and a whole lot of ugly that came with the war in Iraq. A war that at this point, as we mentioned in the interview, nobody really seems to want to talk about anymore or even know how to talk about Classic question, or it's not even a question, but when you look back at, at how it all happened, I mean, when I go back to the U.S. now and when I listen to the conversations, most people don't want to talk about it. You know, it's like, oh, the Iraq war, right? Uh, it was, we were lied to. Uh, so you almost get the impression they wouldn't have done it if they hadn't been lied to. But how do you look at it? Like, uh, my impression is, Anything is better than being bombed in that there's, a, there's always a better way than, being, than having your country destroyed to change something like a leader who's bad. I mean, if we could just call a leader bad, right? Yeah. But w- w- how do you look at it when you look back? For what's happened? Yeah. It's just sad. Yeah. It's just sad. Until now, I, don't, I, don't, I cannot understand why, why all this happened. Mm. I cannot understand. It didn't have to happen. Right? Exactly. That's the weirdest exactly. thing. Exactly. We thought that we get... We are, will be Saddam Hussein, he's a dictator. I don't want to go to the military and I don't want to involve in wars and died in wars, meaningless war, just like Iran war and Kuwaiti war. So when he was gone and the American came, we thought, okay, maybe we'll get a better life. But just like after two months, when the, when the first bomb started the United Station, the United Nation, we knew things would become worse. And just like it's collapsed after that in a fast way, even the Americans couldn't understand what's happening. And until now, I, I, I can't find the answer why all this happened. Yeah. It's just like something led to another, just like in a chain, but yeah. it was a fast chain. Yeah. I mean, frankly, they, they came not for the Iraqi people. They came for different reasons, other reasons, maybe all a part of it, and to have a strategic place in the Middle East. And... Uh, Maybe it's an old revenge between Bush and Saddam, I don't know, but right. we get involved in There's it. There's so many of these I mean, yeah, yeah. crazy facts. But it's not, but all the reasons, it's not, it's not for Iraqis. Believe me, it's not for Iraqis. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, a lot of times people seem to say now, they could do the quick summary. They say, well, you know, it, it, it went bad, but on the bright side, no more Saddam. And I often hear that and I think, like, that's not good enough. <laughs> like, that's not... You know, you, know, you know what's the saddest thing in the world? As I'm as Iraqi, well, I was, I didn't like Saddam. Right. So, 
when uh, Saddam he went, I was oh okay, we are good now. No Saddam. After what I've seen, I wish if Saddam is still there, and I wish if Saddam is still alive. So it's kind of black comedy or a black tragedy that the person who just like you hate, you still wish that he still exists. We had this uh, call in, in Iraq. If you see uh, fever is better than death. I don't know what you call it. Yeah, well, yeah, you're, yeah. Sick, you're sick, but you're not dead. Exactly. So in the Saddam Hussein, we were sick, yeah. but we are not dead. So it's better to be a sick person from being a dead. So it's really sad when I'm saying this, but this is the truth. I mean, in Saddam time, we used to, we used to have fun. We used to be safe. We used to walk uh, by ourselves. And after midnight, we were not afraid from uh, anything is Sunni Shia stuff. Uh, I wasn't afraid to go in, the, in, in Baghdad and in the whole Iraq. Now it's really hard. Now I'm afraid. Now we have a lot of problems. Even yeah. more than in Saddam Hussein time, right. because you know, if, if I return to back, back to Baghdad, I will continue to work as a journalist. Mm. And uh, working as a journalist in Iraq, it's really a hard job because I have a lot of friends who were killed either in battles or assassination. Because in Iraq, you are afraid to write and say the truth. All the newspapers in Iraq now, it's either, all the newspapers belong to parties. Mm -hmm. And each party, you just want to say that he's good, mm -hmm. he's okay. They don't want anybody to blame him. And lack of power and authority in Iraq, it's, it's, it's really hard for journalists because always something wrong can happen to you if you are not careful. Yeah. So it's that whole thing of getting threatened, yeah, still, still happening. Yeah, yeah. I mean, still, we just like before a month, uh, a fresh reporter, female reporter, she was murdered in Mosul. I don't know if you heard. I think I just like people assassinated. Her. I have friends who were killed in Iraq because of battles, because different kind of reasons that they've been killed. So it's even, even, you know, even my wife, they say, if we want to return back to Baghdad, you need to change your job. You don't yeah. be a judge as a journalist. Yeah. Well, but Ali, do, <coughs> do you have that thing now? I know you, you started as a chemist. You almost went back to, chem to yeah. being a chemist. Yeah. But do you have a thing in you that says, like, I'm, I'm just naturally a journalist? Do you get that feeling when you're... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> frankly, I used, I used to write uh, stories and novels in Arabic, not in yeah, English, yeah. when I was young, yeah. even uh, with a poem. I used to, oh, yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, and also, so I, I used to get this, uh, but I studied the science and the stuff, mm -hmm. but I still have this thing in my, in my, inside me to write stories and stuff. So I think it's natural when I just like became, when I just like started my first stories, I, sit, I sat on the laptop and started writing the story. It's just like I continue writing. I don't know from where. In English, not even in Arabic, yeah. which is, was difficult. But I started just like writing it, and then my the editor he just like took took my piece, and he said that's good because uh, I have this sense of journalist to get the story yeah, yeah, yeah. and the key the key elements. Yeah. It's it's natural. Yeah. Even a lot of reporters and editors I work with them, they said you have a natural gift of being a, journal a journalist. But until now, I. I I can't believe I became a journalist. I always 
Oh, okay, I'm it's a chemist, so I hope I became a journalist. <laughs> Everybody, I'm telling him that, so just like laugh. Yeah. Well, I, but the, the courses and the sessions I had it in London and Cairo, and right. it's helped me kind of to, to, to become just like, to know more about journalism. Yeah. And you know, also after the internet and the, I start reading more about journalism, so I, but the thing is, as I told you, I, I learned journalism in the hard way, yeah. in Baghdad, and even here. Mm-hmm. It's just like, uh, always they're telling me you have the skills of journalism just like to know what the key elements of the story and you know this is a story or this is not so I I think it's natural I think it's natural that's cool yeah so anyone who would say ah maybe you should change jobs it's like you have to realize this comes from the heart yeah 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 I mean yeah yeah. you you never think that you will change your job or uh, you never think that you will I mean you have one job, you don't change it. A lot of people, they don't have this idea. Just right. like, if I'm, if I'm an engineer, I won't work as a, as a journalist. <laughs> but for me, it was a, just like a coincidence. I think it's also destiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in that time, I needed money. Right. And working as a chemist wasn't good for me. Uh, and then my friend came and he said, I will give you $50 for one piece. And it was a big amount of money. So again... I became a journalist because of money. Because of money. Yeah, frankly, it's because of money. All right, we'll end on that note. Uh, Ali, it's a pleasure to meet you, man. It's, it's good it's to see you. And I'm still a fan of the idea that you will do a, some kind of radio show from this seat yeah. every week, and I will tell people about it when it starts. Why not? Yeah, why not? So it will be a good idea. It will be a good idea of chatting. All right, thank you very much. Thank you, man. Thank you. It's my pleasure. That was Ali Al-Shouk, whose work you can read on 7 Days Dubai. You can find them at 7days, the number 7, days, dot A-E. A man whose path as a human and a journalist has not been easy, but whose approach to life and reporting is nothing short of fantastic. And that brings us to the end of this edition of Citizen Reporter. But don't worry, there will be more next week. And for those who haven't heard the entire series of the Dubai Taxi Project, you can go over right now to the website, citizenreporter.org. You'll find more stories about life, work, love, personal realities, and one of the world's fastest growing cities. Until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Do me a favor. Go to iTunes, find my podcast, leave me a review. You decide, positive or negative. All I ask is that you leave a review as I'm eager to have more feedback, some new feedback. And beyond all that, I will see you next week. See ya. See ya.
Music this week was by Scott Metzger, Fedus, and Mr. Tom Brousseau.